everybody. Welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Michael Carl Erie here. Carl. And the co-host with the co-most, Timothy John Stafford. Right. As middle names go, John, much stronger than Carl. Uh, but yeah. his first names go Michael, much better than Timothy. Uh, Michael's an archangel. Timothy, young pastor who really Just needs to dude. get the women yeah. into line in his church. So... Um, <laughs> Anyway, we are delighted to be with you. Welcome to 2023. Now we're here, ladies now we're here, and gentlemen. Officially. It, yes, and it feels it feels like an entirely new year. Uh, gone, Doesn't it? Yeah, gone are the economic worries and the political division. Uh, it's just a utopia celebrating. Um, a united government. A united, yes. Healthy house speakers. <laughs> yes, we're recording this in the middle of whatever is going on in the House of Representatives, which I don't oh, understand. Oh, we're recording this on January 6th. Uh, a day, indeed, that will live in infamy. That's right. So, yeah, we had thoughts about that a couple of years ago. Uh, and we're <laughs> going to revisit some of those conversations here coming up as we dive into the big, scary book of oh, Revelation. Big announcement. Ooh, yes. Hey, uh, speaking of big announcements, I've got some folks to thank. Listen, I you might get annoyed... <laughs> by me taking time to thank people all the time, but I'm telling you what. Get over it. Get over it. No, it is, we are overwhelmed and humbled by the fact that so many people invest in our community. And so um, we are in the middle of working on uh, our YouTube channel and dialing in platforms and programs because these are two faces that definitely need to be out there. That's right. You're yes, just saying words we, now. We just think programs and platforms and yes. platitudes and yeah, programs, platforms and platitudes. That's Christianity <laughs> in America. Um, no, we. So I, I want to do some shout outs, and I've got to do a big shout out to Mickey. Um, in fact, I'm gonna sing. I'm gonna do a sing out. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You'll blow my mind. Oh, Mickey. Oh, Mickey. So Mickey, thank you. Millie, I don't have a song for Millie. Uh, but it's it just ever since Millie Bobby Brown kind of hit the highlight, Millie is like a rad name. Maybe before that, but I I didn't know many Millies before that. Uh, John, solid name, as we've already commented, makes a great it's middle true. name. Yeah. Uh, Jessica. Lots of books in the Bible named after it. Yes, Jessica. Not no Jessica, books in the Bible John. named after Jessica, but we want to say thank you to Jessica. Matthew, there's a book of the Bible for you. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> Um, maybe a tax collector, maybe not. We're not sure of his occupation, but hey, why not? Uh, somebody wrote as their um, Patre Patreon name, Casey Screams Back. <laughs> so I just want to say Casey Screams Back, thank you. Yeah. Casey! <laughs> Mike is screaming back at you. Yes, I am Mike Screams Back at Casey Screams Back. <laughs> uh, I want to thank Matt, the abbreviated form of Matthew, of course. Mm. Tabor, which is a great first name and a great last name. I know people with both. Yeah. Nathan, oh, the name of a great prophet, and my firstborn son, Lisa and Michelle. In fun fact, seventh grade, I was very socially awkward, shocker, and uh, socially <laughs> conscious. And uh, in my study hall with eighth graders, first period of the day, somebody, they're calling out the names of the people in the class, and somebody says, Michelle Err. <laughs> Michelle Err? <laughs> Michelle Err? And then I, it dawns on me. Here? So, Michelle, I celebrate you and your generosity. 
but I, but there's a bit of me that still enters in because I had to go here, you know, in that sort of awkward seventh grade, junior high cracking voice. Yeah. Everyone laughed and I thought, this is going to be horrible. My life's over. And you know what? <laughs> it was true. Uh, no, I just want to say it's thank all you. It's downhill from there. It had. Actually, yes. Sixth grade, maybe I peaked um, because I got to kiss just very briefly, just a peck, but it was my first kiss uh, of the coach's daughter at a basketball camp I went oh, to. Oh, that's dangerous. And so I was like, okay. I'll go to more basketball camps if this is how this thing goes. <laughs> I love basketball. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, thanks to all of you. And you can find out more about us and about supporting the community if you go to voxologypodcast.com. Uh, yeah, so a couple of big announcements. First, we're kicking off a YouTube channel, hopefully the episode that will kick off the Revelation series here in a couple of weeks. Oh um, we are going to do a Revelation series. I did a Revelation series for our church in Tennessee, but um, the, I, the podcast form of a Revelation series is going to be much different uh, because we want to take uh, particular angles and we can explore some things that um, we didn't really get it to, a chance to talk much about in the church. Just the idea of a church conversation and a podcast conversation the different sets of assumptions in each sort of venue so uh and we and we particularly want to look at revelation and and undercut the way that it's employed to support christian nationalism among mm. other evils in american culture and so that book has been hijacked and held in captivity to one particular interpretation and we want to to just say boy not only is that interpretation harmful it's really not even what the book's saying itself. We're so, stealing it back. We are metaphorically going to the capital of the book of Revelation oh, and stop stopping the steal. the steal. So, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, so there is a YouTube channel coming. Uh, there is a, a, a Revelation series coming. And um, anyway, I mean, just big things are afoot at the Circle K. Do you know that reference? <laughs> I Timothy? got you. Of course you do. Excuse me, Miss. Do you know guy. when the Mongols ruled China? Timothy is, uh, if you ever want to match wits with Timothy John Stafford, just start start a movie quote train, and <laughs> see and happens. see how far it, far it goes. There there are deeply held, deeply memorized. I don't know much about. I I don't know that he has the Bible hidden in his heart, but he has lots of movie quotes. It's hidden true. in his heart and whatever judgment you want to make that's fine um <laughs> today do. today we have an interview for you what uh, i know we just we you know what's fun we get to meet cool people and read cool books and then get to meet those people i was so trying Kate, to think of the my when you asked her in the interview about when like the celebrity culture thing when you realized it yeah when she realized the dark side of I was celebrity trying to think, i was like when did i and was it just, because I, I, I worked at the Christian bookstore, which, which you've talked about before, where the parents would come in, they're like, hey, my son likes smashing pumpkins. Yeah. What can you give me that's godly? And I was like, ugh, none of this right. is as good as smashing pumpkins. That's just get him that. But the, um, I was trying to think, I was like, is it Kurt Cameron for my age group? Like, mm. Kurt Cameron going from growing pains and kind of being the renegade kid that we all liked and looked up to on tv and then he all of a sudden was like this crazy christian celebrity and there was a weird pivot mm. i don't know do you have one i was trying to think of that where that moment happened 
Yeah, so so we're interviewing someone um, named Caitlin Beatty, who is um, in the Christian publishing industry, worked at Christianity Today for 10 years. She wrote a book called Celebrities for Jesus, How Personas, Platforms, and Profits Are Hurting the Church. And uh, which, you know, we would all go yes and amen. <laughs> and uh, But she's a really interesting take because she's kind of in the middle of the institutions that are facilitating this and benefiting from this. And so she does a great job sort of explaining how she processes some of that. But um, one of the questions we asked was, hey, when did, you, when did you begin to see the dark side of celebrity? For me, I was in college and I had um, a philosophy professor who challenged me about how Christianity was foolish. And he was very nice. We were friends, actually, outside of class. And just over dinner one night, he said, you know, you're too smart to believe in talking snakes. And that sort of spun me out into a, just a bunch of reading. Um, and I discovered that's what I love. That's what I love to do. I just love to read about this and think about these things and whatever. But I was reading, in, I was in the middle of a book, and I went home over Christmas vacation to my church. My church had had been a very traditional Grace Brethren church. So Grace Brethren put the conservative in conservative, right? I mean, it, it was like, we've talked about it before. We had communion four times a year. We did literal foot washing, the men on one side, the women on the other, so on, so on, so on. But we had a new pastor and, um, and a new youth pastor who had embraced the Willow Creek model of being seeker sensitive. And, um, and so there was a big, you know, to do about the fact that people came and raised their hands in the middle of church right. and, um, you know, whatever. But, um, I was home over Christmas and the youth pastor got up and, and read a chapter from a book that I was reading that I just literally read the night before. So I, I had, I was so familiar with the chapter and he gets up and he reads it, but he doesn't read it with any attribution. He just oh. reads the chapter as if it were his own sermon. Hmm. And so I call him, and I, and I was very upset by this. And he's like, oh, don't worry. Everyone does this. And um, and I, I since realized, no, not everyone does that. And the, the, the lead pastor was fired for um, just taking the Willow Creek sermon from the week previous and just... <laughs> using that without acknowledging yeah and so so that was my first brush up against hey it doesn't matter what we're doing as long as it works as right. long as it's effective and successful yeah. and um so that was yeah that was the first sort of like oh this is awful really this is what everyone does you just because I steal one. stuff all the time. I mean, people have great thoughts. Um, I just, I, I, I try not to pass them off as my own. And I think if you know me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know they're not mine. All right. So anyway, we have a great interview with her. And uh, we're excited for you to get to know her. Um, Timothy, anything you want to preview about the interview or what's coming up with the Voxology podcast? People will now get to see what you look like, which I know. Kind of a lumberjack look today. It's scary. I know. We should have a submission for people like to AI kind of create what Timothy John Stafford they think. Well, he they've looks seen like. us on Instagram. 
Oh, okay. On the socials, it's not going to be too much of a surprise. I don't know. I'm continually surprised by how handsome you are. Oh, me too. Every day. Yeah, what's your hairline like? Could you t- take that? Take the head off. Therapy too. Take the hair. That. Yeah, you got a great hairline, dude. Yeah. Oh, it's so so disgusting. <laughs> really is. I don't know why God does this. You know, because I absolutely think He assigns hairlines. See, now that opens up a whole can of worms about a lot of different things. Yeah, I'm kidding. I really don't think He does. <laughs> um. <laughs> so anyway, dear listener, thank you for tuning in hope you enjoy our time with caitlin and um we'll see you next episode on the next episode hey everybody welcome to the voxology podcast we're so glad today to be joined by our brand new friend caitlin Beatty, who has written a book celebrities for jesus how personas platforms and prophets are hurting the church when we saw that subtitle, it was like, yes, yes, someone to speak in our language. Caitlin, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Would you um, tell us just a little bit about yourself? What are you doing now? What do you, cur- like, what do you currently do for work and hobbies? And then tell us just a little bit about the inherited culture, faith culture that you were raised in. Mm-hmm. Sort of a backdrop for our convo. Mm-hmm. Well, I immediately realized I have no hobbies. <laughs> I'm a boring person. Um, no. But for work, I work full time as the editorial director of Brazos Press, which is part of Baker Publishing Group based in Grand Rapids, Michigan. But I work mm. remotely from New York City. So I've lived in New York for a little over four years wow. um, and mostly love it and sometimes hate it. But I think mm. that's pretty par for the course. Yeah. Um, I mean, hobbies, I do, I enjoy cooking. I enjoy crossword puzzles. I sound like a really boring person right now. No, um, no. I do enjoy karaoke, but that has not happened since <laughs> before the pandemic for natural. Oh, all right. So we're overdue uh, for some karaoke. Yes. Um, can, I also, I, can I interrupt you? Yeah. What is your mm-hmm. go-to karaoke song? I mean, is there is there like a specialty that you have particularly <laughs> dialed in? I think. We oh, Mike, notice. you have you have opened up a rabbit trail. <laughs> I'm so, in. We are so in for this. <laughs> well, I have a list on my phone because okay. I find it helpful when you're sitting at the karaoke place. Like, okay, what are my songs? You know. Yeah. 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 Um, I will do. A song called What's Up by Four Non Blondes. I like ABBA. I like, um, I'm in. gosh, The Killers are always a hit. What ABBA? Um, what ABBA? I mean, <clears throat> I think their whole catalog yeah. is great. Um, yeah. yeah. Dancing Queen, of course. Solid the, entry. The key is to find a song that is in your range. Because sometimes you have these big aspirations and then you get up and you're like, wow, I can never hit those high notes and I sound terrible. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Or uh, you also should sing a song that is a crowd pleaser generally. Like mm. probably mm. don't go with your favorite Broadway musical song. Like everybody's <laughs> just going to kind of suffer through that. Yeah. <laughs> like do that in the shower. Bring yeah. the, the crowd favorites when you're singing karaoke. Um, That's solid. That, this, is, this is good advice for life. <laughs> don't know your don't, range pick know your range favorite. yes <laughs> do and do crowd pleasers yeah tim what tim I, i'm i've never asked you that question what if you had to do a karaoke song one song 
I did have a karaoke song. It was um, Hillbilly Bone. <laughs> was, uh, well, there's uh, a crowd pleaser. Blake Not Shelton song. at all. Yeah, but it's a lot of fun to sing. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, that's fair. If, if no one else is having fun, at least you are. It's kind of so hard to do it. <laughs> no one asked. Mike, what are your thoughts? No one asked, but I'm going with Toto Africa. That's just that's just where mm, that's happening. Yeah, Even though I a... cannot hit those high notes. I just I just I love I love singing Serengeti just as a lyric. So I'm all in. <laughs> well, on Blake Shelton, I, I will say I don't like I don't usually listen to pop country music but they those country songs have amazing hooks and just like i mean just incredible (laughs) earworms um so there's a song called need you now that's a really Mm -hmm. fun duet are you familiar with this song Mm -hmm. with uh antebellum right lady a that's a really really fun karaoke duet uh that is about being sad and drunk late at night and texting your ex. Ooh. And that everybody I mean, as loves. far as country Ooh. songs go, there's that's like there's a whole truckload of those. Yeah. <laughs> so so yes. is there a reason why you have refrained since the pandemic? I mean, obviously the pandemic was reason enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then is there is there a reason? And again, if this is too personal, I understand we can talk about the book, mm-hmm. but this I want to explore this rabbit hole. Is there a reason why there's not been more karaoke in your life in the last, say, six months or so? Yeah, I think it's one of those activities. Well, I will say generally it's been kind of a slow return to the kind of social Mm. pace that I was experiencing pre-pandemic. So I'm, you know, I'm definitely seeing friends and most places here you don't have to wear a mask or like they gave up checking vaccine status a long time ago um but it just feels like people are it's like we got used to spending time at home and just Mm -hmm. relaxing at home Mm -hmm. it feels like harder to get people to together yeah um so that's one thing i mean i could it's not an activity that i think i would go by myself too (laughs) it seems like a group activity and it just takes effort to get everybody together but that's fair that's fair. Yeah. Well, we're going to be cheering you on for the for 2023. I don't know <laughs> if you have resolutions, but maybe that that could be one of them. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Well, you had asked about my upbringing. Yes. Um, and yes, so yes, yes. it is not related to karaoke at all. Uh, <laughs> it's not like I grew up in a karaoke household, but I did oh, grow up sorry. in an evangelical household um, mm. in the uh, in Dayton, Ohio. I grew up in a United Methodist Church that my parents still attend today that at the time that I was a young teenager um, and came to Christ at age 13 was definitely seeker friendly. It was, uh, I would say it was a mega church hopeful. I don't know that we ever officially got to mega church status, but experienced a lot of growth in a short period of time, Mm. very kind of culturally relevant and Mm -hmm. singable Mm -hmm. worship songs and our pastor wore open-toed sandals to preach oh my (laughs) to show you that he was of the people yes um and and you know i write about this in the book i i'm i'm very grateful in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways for Mm -hmm. that upbringing i mean it is the context in which i came to faith in christ um it taught me how to read the bible how to mm-hmm. think about yep. 
uh, living evangelistically about the goodness of outreach and bringing people into the church. And also I wouldn't say that our pastor was a celebrity. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he certainly had a kind of persona, but I would say that the larger evangelical subculture that I was brought into from a young age was fixated on people with large platforms, you know, best-selling authors, pastors, evangelists, um, Mm -hmm, musicians mm -hmm. that we were kind of told to emulate in some way, the kind of the assumption that if you have a big platform or you have name recognition, you can use that to share the gospel with more people. Right. You know, I a very uh, utilitarian understanding of platform. Yeah. Kind of, I, I think evangel. <clears throat> I think evangelicalism is a pragmatic movement. Mm, <laughs> um, at least much. in the in the U.S., kind of, if we find a tool that works to reach people, to reach more people with the gospel, let's just embrace it. <laughs> yeah. know, let's... That that justifies everything else. Yes, and so even if there's all this wreckage culturally mm-hmm. or spiritually or interpersonally, but gosh, but we brought people to faith in Christ, then right. at the end of the day, isn't it worth it? And I think that mindset has borne really bad fruit in a lot of the American church and has actually been anti-evangelistic because we also oh, have to totally, think about totally. the effects of uh, witness and credibility on the other side. What does yeah. a watching world think when churches that yes have grown very quickly also face massive scandal and downfall what is left in the wreckage it's not just it would be naive to think of something like celebrity as just a net gain in the long run there are also real costs and um you know harm to the christian witness that i think we're we're now really in a moment where we're ready and willing to to reckon with that that's so insightful i uh, when did you become, I grew up in that same culture um, in uh, Mansfield, Ohio, which is um, just north of Columbus. And so mm-hmm. we experienced the same gray winters, um, hallelujah, um, and just horribly depressing. But what, when did you become aware, uh, first aware of the dark side of mm-hmm. celebrity? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that was just the culture we were imbibing and told that it was normal. If you like you know, this band, then you'll love this Christian band over here. You mm-hmm. know, if you love this comedian secularly, then you'll love this Christian comedian over here. And there was just mm-hmm. a swapping mm-hmm. out of celebrity, as you talk about in the book. Um, when did you first become aware of the dark side of that? Definitely in my first job, which was at Christianity Today magazine mm-hmm. in the Chicago suburbs. I started working there right out of college. Um and eventually served as managing editor there at the print magazine. And in the time that I was there, I, almost a decade, mm. our staff received several tips and allegations about some of the leading lights of evangelicalism. I mean, two two of the most prominent would have been Bill Hybels, the founding pastor of Willow Creek, and the evangelist Ravi Zacharias. And our yeah. staff had actually kind of received initial um, allegations against both of those leaders years mm. before you know, the staff was ready to actually report on it and corroborate. And, wow. you know, we know how those stories turned out. Yeah. And so with, with both of those stories in particular, you had a, you had a dynamic <clears throat> where it was easy for us from kind of far away to think that we knew 
these men that we could kind of vouch for their character or integrity. And arguably in both cases, there was an element of a distance that celebrity created. And in that distance, there was a lack of accountability and kind of a deference both in Willow Creek and the Ravi Zacharias International Ministry to the, the leading light to say, well, yeah, he's, you know, insisting on using a private email server or mm-hmm. traveling alone far more than any of our other staff are allowed to. But they're our, they're our founder and we love them, right? Or, or we admire them and we know that their celebrity status is tied up with our own organization's Mm-hmm. success and stability and so we're reticent to ask really hard questions you know into until it's too late um yeah. so yeah i know you know most christian leaders would say of course i welcome accountability of course i want people around me to be able to ask hard questions and to point out my blind spots but when you reach a certain level of celebrity status it can be easy to evade those mm-hmm. hard questions totally. um, and and to kind of insist on being treated differently because you are in a higher echelon or you're just that gifted or that called. Yeah. Yeah. So you began to see that, which is fat. I mean, fascinating that your background was in CT really when, when this stuff started bubbling up, I mean, all of it started, this was really when uh, that 10 years was really when this began to gain a lot of attention and traction. Um, how how were you able, or were you able, to stay hopeful about the church in the midst of seeing all of these things? And if if you are still hopeful about it, what is it that gives you hope? Well, if there's a spectrum, <laughs> let's say there's a theoretical spectrum with hope on one side and cynicism on the other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably a little bit left of center, um, not politically <laughs> or theologically per se, but- Understood, um, understood. You know, I, I think that the work of journalism being in a journalistic institution for about 10 years, you do kind of start to develop some skepticism, at least kind of when something is presented to you on the surface, recognizing ah things are probably a little bit more complicated behind mm-hmm. the scenes, right? Mm-hmm. So I have to check within myself that I'm not suspicious of Christians with a celebrity status just because they have a celebrity status. I think there mm-hmm. are ways to kind of come into a status of fame because of good work in the world Mm-hmm. Not because that's the thing that you set out to find, you know, but because you are a really good preacher or speaker or theologian or, you know, have called the church to uh, powerful and prophetic work. And because of that, you you develop a kind of name recognition. Then you have to figure out, okay, what do I do with this? How do I steward this well? How do I not let this go to my head? But I think it's naive to think, okay, just because somebody is a celebrity means that they're bad, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's naive. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, you know, I think it's what actually gives me hope is the fact that these stories have come out and some Mm. measure of truth as best as humans can try to articulate it has been brought to light. You know, I'm I'm thinking of, you know, the gosh, tell me if this is in Ephesians exposing the deeds of darkness. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yep. Nice. Uh, 
<laughs> I nice. know my Bible as well as I know karaoke songs. <laughs> hey, it's two Corinthians. That's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, that we are told not to hide the truth, but to bring it, That's bring right. deeds of darkness out into the light. And I think God can use that to draw us into a healthier church and maybe it looks smaller and humbler or not as impressive or flashy but i'm so ultimately grateful that we're having these conversations because we're i think in a time where a lot is being stripped out and away in the american church and my what i'm what i am hopeful for is actually on the other side of this whenever this time of reckoning and revealing is over we can start to create a community centered on Jesus that is more grounded, loving, humble, generous, that Mm -hmm. looks more like the person of Christ than what we have maybe inherited over time. And so in addition to that, what actually gives me hope is participation in a local church here in New York, um, Mm -hmm. where, you know, our pastor is a good preacher, but the main event of the Sunday morning service is not his big dazzling sermon. Like sometimes it's good. And sometimes it's like, I don't know, Uh, you know, Yep. (laughs) but but the, the structure and liturgy of the church service itself is not centered on the guy, you know, I love that. Um, where there are spaces within the church to get to know your neighbors. It just, Mm. we have devotion groups, which are small groups that are neighborhood based. Nice. So, you know, every week I'm invited to meet with people in my neighborhood to pray together and have a meal and share what's been going on in our lives. And like when I show up in that space, I'm not Caitlin Beatty, the journalist. And, you know, I'm just Caitlin. Totally. And we all need those spaces where we can show up as ourselves and not have to be impressive or flashy, but can be known and loved. I think that's what all of us deeply desire and need to flourish. So that gives me hope too. Yeah. Is that the anti anti celebrity model? Yeah, absolutely. Is that how you would kind of answer the critique? I hear this because we talk obviously about, problems in evangelicalism and people will sometimes say well, why do you keep exposing or talking about this stuff this hurts our witness mm-hmm. and i what i'm hearing from you is no it actually it's the reverse right what hurts our witness is the hiding of all of this mm-hmm. um but it's the revealing of it how do you wrestle with that that line of mm-hmm. um revealing this stuff knowing it hurts um but that's a better option than keeping it secret. Did you ever have Mm -hmm. to kind of sit in that tension? Mm -hmm. Or even as you were writing the book, did you ever Mm -hmm. hear that objection? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, one uh, parallel might be conversations in recent years about racism in the church or in the United States. You know, when, when somebody posts something on social media that addresses racist attitudes or beliefs or actions and someone else will comment like why are you talking about this this just creates division or this just creates rancor or this just stirs people up it's like well actually the the bigger problem (laughs) is the thing itself rather than Mm -hmm. talking about the thing right i do think i do think that there are ways to talk about 
celebrity problems in the church that are seeking to ultimately build up. So I have to check in myself that I'm not taking some kind of perverse delight in seeing mega church pastors fall, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I might have my own personal opinions about Joel Osteen, but you know, I don't know why he came to mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Tim but, looks a little bit like him. I could right. see that. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Not at all. I, Sorry. I don't see it, but I'll no, be thinking no. about that. No. Um, you know, I like I have my own kind of impressions of someone like Joel Osteen, but if right. it were revealed tomorrow that he had embezzled millions of dollars from the church and you know, was unfaithful to his wife. Like these are all, this is not good news. Like this is not what it, what could be good is having someone misusing their power, being held accountable. And then the Mm -hmm. church building something healthier and more Christ-like, but that's, that is the good news, not the falling of the person itself. And just remembering that in all of these stories, there are people who are, or have been connected to that person Mm-hmm. in in really personal ways for whom this is devastating yeah. you know and i don't you know sometimes i'll hear why are you talking about this this person has a family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i i don't think that someone having a family is a reason not to for example christianity today reporting on bill hybels it, it would have been irresponsible for ct to say well he has a family so we can't report on this that is yeah. not our, our job you know journalist job is not to kind of protect the family per se, but I think there are ways to talk about and report stories like that, that are sensitive, you know, Mm -hmm. that are, that don't revel in kind of salacious details that only report what can absolutely be corroborated that are not leading with the most clickbait details that are more holistic and grounded. And so Mm -hmm. I think they're, are ways to talk about the truth that are sensitive to the personal implications mm-hmm. of these stories um, yeah. and yeah. to be compassionate without being evasive about the truth. It was interesting, the the 20 most, I don't know, 20 top articles from CT came out last week and a guy named Patrick Miller um, had a critique of the, their coverage of celebrity and scandal. Are you? Did you follow this at all, or were you aware of this? I didn't see it. I'm. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the top read stories from CT of the past year happen to involve celebrity pastors or yeah. Leaders. It was like eleven out of the twenty, or yeah. he even said it was fifteen. I, depending on how you define it, but but his point was he asked the question: Well, is CT destroying the church? Mm-hmm. Because they're profiting, um, you know, um, off of the these scandalous sort of details, and you know, where are the articles about the faithful church that your parents attend in Dayton, Ohio, and so on, mm-hmm. so on, so on. Um, and I can hear the beginnings of a response to that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thinking in your previous answers, but. It was um, it was interesting to us to to kind of been in that conversation last week and to have you here. How do you, as a um, I don't know, I mean, a journalist, how would you sort of 
position um, the role of the consumer versus the mm. role of the institution in the coverage of these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess, I, I would... I would guess that you were about to say something like this, <laughs> which is that, you know, this this list of the top read articles from CT of the last year in large part reflect the interests of readers. Yes. As much as, if not more than the editorial decision making and discretion of the people at CT. That's well, you know, that's much better said. Thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. You know, Why don't you ask the questions of yourself <laughs> and we'll just sing softly in the background. <laughs> Sorry. My that second, was... no, no. My second song is hungry. Like the wolf by Duran Duran. I'm just throwing that that's, out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just had another song come to me. Um, Take on me by aha. Oh, solid. That's a See, crowd the fact pleaser. that you just went like this is like, that is the spirit that you want to <laughs> exactly <invoke. There> you, <laughs> go. you want people to be like yes when you when they yeah. realize you're singing that song so that's good that's good um you know we to to its credit ct does report on churches local churches just doing good yeah lovely things around the world i mean that is part of their editorial mission is not just to you know call out the bad actors, but to say, like, look at how Jesus is showing up in mm -hmm. these places. The reality is that those stories never do as well. Right. Totally. <laughs> they just never do as well as the stories involving a person of prominence involved in some kind of scandal. You know, yeah. that is yeah. what captures our attention, especially on the Internet. Um, and, you know, I think some of this uh, implicates how we give of our attention. Mm. Um, That's good. Like if I'm more interested in what's happening at this church or with this pastor over here, this is a community I've never been a part of. I don't, I've never you know, met the person. I don't know the people involved, but I'm more interested in that story than in the story of my own local church or people I do know. Yeah. Um, that that's a me problem right that's mm. a problem about what captivates my attention what i'm willing to spend time and energy engaging i'm not saying you know you should only read local news and i think ct does play a role in giving kind of trans-denominational national and international coverage yeah. um but yeah so much of that is about our own attention and our Mm -hmm. you know, fascination with, with scandal and with celebrity itself. Right. Yeah. How do you distinguish between celebrity and fame? Because in the book, and then you just referenced it earlier, <clears throat> people are well known for virtue. Uh, mm -hmm. They're virtuous or they're very good at something, but they haven't chased platform. Right. Um, but celebrity seems to be something different. How do you distinguish mm -hmm. between those two? Yeah. Well, I think of celebrity as, a distinctly modern phenomenon, which is different from fame in that, you know, there have always been famous people. There have always been people whose family lineage, lineage or military prowess or yeah. good works in the world virtue has taken their name beyond a particular time and place. And so then they, they receive fame as a byproduct and have to figure out how to steward it. Whereas celebrity, is a modern phenomenon in that it relies on the tools of mass media to project 
an image of of oneself. I think you know one difference between celebrity and fame is that in with with fame, often the attention is more about that person's work in the world. It's not necessarily the fixation oh, on good. the person themselves. Yeah, it's you know I appreciate N.T. Wright because I read one of his books and it changed my life. But yeah. I'm not like. <laughs> up late at night or like newest celebrity news about nt right and gosh if there is any i'm i don't even know what it would yeah. be yeah he plays guitar um, yeah <laughs> um whereas celebrity i think you know what is being cultivated is a persona and what is being drawn out is a kind of attachment or affection for the person themselves like i am mm, a fan of so good. and so yeah. i love so and so i want to be like so and so the attention seems to be more on the person as a model or icon mm. um you know for the purposes of the church the definition of celebrity i landed on in the book is social power without proximity and so it is the ability to shape hearts and minds and captivate attention and you know, wield power over other people, but from the distance of the stage and the screen. It is the lack of embodied in-person connection that, and I think that distance leads to all sorts of problems that we've already yeah. talked about. The lack of yeah. accountability, the lack of true knowledge, the splitting of a self, you know, my public image is this, but behind closed doors, I act totally. like this. Totally. Um, and, you know, we're uh, the Christian life is made to be lived out in proximity. And so if we are thinking about Christian leadership or discipleship or influence and distance is always a part of that um, equation, we have to ask, well, how is distance actually how is that distance actually warping? what we're trying to do and kind of yeah. undercutting or yeah, undercutting Christian work in the world. It's all what very is, interesting. The, oh, go ahead, the um, I was thinking about the, the, all oh, the CT article stuff, which I think you're totally right. The, um, that is a, that's cause we, I think I said last week, we we enjoy driving by and staring at a car accident. Right. And so these 20 stories were the most read. So those are, the ones that we all clicked on the most and mm -hmm. wanted to see the most. And that almost all are about celebrity downfall or something to that effect. So that does say way more about the reader than it does about the publication, because this is what we want to digest the most. So in that, I think it's interesting. Um, I was watching an interview with Bono. Sorry, Mike. And... <laughs> What? Why? Sorry, Mike. <laughs> he I, doesn't I, like Bono. No, no I, I just reference you too much. There, there's <laughs> a there, there is a celebrity worshiping dynamic in Tim's heart towards Bono that we're <laughs> frankly we've That's, been we're working to, on it. Yeah, we're working on it. But it's a life. That's why you brought me here to like convict it's a, him. It, it's a yeah. carefrontation for Tim Stafford <laughs> right now. Yes. yes. Anyway, he was talking about celebrity as. Um, currency and how it's, mm -hmm. it's so important how you spend that currency and so he was talking about that in relation to all the work that he's done around the world and kind of like it grants you some of that currency to be able to do that just because of the status that comes with it and mm -hmm. i thought that was really interesting because when i think about the ct stuff it was like there is a responsibility to all of us and how we reframe or use that celebrity or how we reframe knowing that people like to watch car accidents happen 
Mm. And then, and so what is that? Cause I think you're totally right. Like the, the me work starts with all of us with how we, what we're seeking and why, and that warping that happens in between the public and the private for somebody who's in some position, but for the people that are in the positions of power that have the knowing that we are a celebrity culture and we love the you know that the kardashians still exist and still have a platform based on i think just celebrity like Mm -hmm. um so we we hunger for it how do how do you think the church uses that because we've seen the negative ones i Mm -hmm. think it's interesting to think about how like how do we spend that currency Mm -hmm. how do we like I don't know. I'm not sure what the question is, but I think it's an interesting because it exists and we mm-hmm. hunger for it. And the idea of chastising all of American culture and say, hey, American Christians, knock it off. Like no more celebrity worship, no more mm-hmm. whatever obviously seems unlikely. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's an interesting conundrum that mm-hmm. we are mm-hmm. currently. And I don't know if it's outside of America. I don't know how bad celebrity culture is you read about like in ireland bono's like no one no one cares about us on the streets of ireland like they throw beers Mm -hmm. like they (laughs) there's no such thing as celebrity here it seems to be a really big deal and i don't Mm -hmm. know what you do with that or how you navigate that culture without Mm -hmm. pointing fingers and getting angry and Mm. yeah well speaking of bono one of his friends was Eugene Peterson and (laughs) it's sad it's sad when people ask me about countercultural examples of like famous Christians who have done it well Mm. there are like three people on that list and Eugene Peterson might be at the top in terms of like a modern American Christian leader Dallas Willard on there Mm -hmm. so my understanding is that Eugene Peterson wrote the message transliteration as a direct response to people in his church saying, you know, I, I can't really understand the Bible. Yeah. He, to my understanding, was not setting out to like yeah. write a mega best-selling Bible translation, even though it became that. And then of course, after the message blew up and, you know, had incredible success, I think most people would have turned to Eugene Peterson and said like, you can probably like, you know, you can drop the pastor thing, you know, you can just kind of keep writing and like transition and pivot into full-time writing and influencing. You don't really need the pastor thing anymore. And he decided, you know, he chose something really countercultural, which was to stay connected to his local congregation, continuing to pastor. To my understanding, it wasn't a very particularly big or impressive church. It wasn't like, Saddleback or Willow Creek, you know, it it was a modestly sized church where he continued to pastor the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. And I just I just think about that as um when the world, including a lot of the church, would have said, like, go higher. You know, yeah. he he chose something lower and grounded and more proximate, even though the message continued to sell very well and he could be friends with people like Bono. Um, so it wasn't like I'm going to become a, a Luddite and go off the grid and disappear into a cave, but yeah. something about staying connected to people 
in his church, I think is part of the key. When I think about like Mm -hmm. a quote unquote solution to this, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. staying connected to people as a shepherd and not Mm -hmm. as a, just the expert or the best-selling author or, you know, somebody who's friends with Bono, which gosh, if I became friends with Bono, I'd be telling everybody about that on social media (laughs) all the time and become so obnoxious about it. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. No, no kidding. Is there something, um, in evangelical culture that is particularly, I don't know, um, attracted to the celebrity culture or it somehow facilitates it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know you spent some time on kind of, there have been Christian celebrities before, uh, before mm-hmm. the modern era. Uh, but is there is there something, you say that it's, it's um, a feature, not a bug. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love, I'd love just to hear your thoughts on what is it about evangelical culture that sort of facilitates this mm-hmm. sort of dynamic? Thinking back to the church that I grew up in, I mean, I, I, of course, I knew that it was a United Methodist church, but in terms of our life together, you know, what was more defining for me as a young teenager growing up in that church was that I knew I was part of this broad interdenominational evangelical movement. And I knew that because of the music I listened to and the books Mm. that I read and the conferences I went to. So there's something about the transdenominational nature of evangelicalism and a relatively low ecclesiology Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and Mm -hmm. a kind of, I would say a general preference for dynamic preaching and speaking as the main thing Mm -hmm. over and against um, spiritual formation and discipleship in the local church. Mm -hmm. There's something about the emphasis on the preacher or the speaker as the one who is going to bring transformation among us and kind of deliver that for us that tends to just, well, prizes individual authority over institutional authority, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. tends to make people give to give them a kind of celebrity status. So that would be one element, just the, I don't know if anti-institutional is too strong, but certainly I would say a general preference in evangelicalism for dynamic individual leaders over institutions yeah. and life in a local institution. I already mentioned this, but, you know, evangelicals are incredibly, they are a pragmatic people. <laughs> yeah. And and especially with, with the use of mass media, you know, I talk in the book about Billy Graham and uh, Dwight L. Moody and Billy Sunday mm-hmm. and kind of these very dynamic uh, preachers and evangelists who were quite, um, who, who kind of happily embraced mass media and spectacle to draw a crowd it kind of again whatever works to draw a crowd is the good is good for us and what we're trying to do yep yep um and so i i I write as someone who has a lot of respect for billy graham i i Mm -hmm. you know i was aware of billy graham growing up my parents Mm -hmm. invited me to one of his crusades and i did not (laughs) go for bad reasons um i wish i would have gone (laughs) um you know working at ct which was helped which Billy Graham helped to found. Um, you know, I have a lot of tremendous respect for him. And also mm. I do think that he kind of his model of a Christian yeah. influence and celebrity 
help to accelerate some mm. of the dynamics that we see have kind of taken root and blossomed since yep. he since yep. his kind of heyday yeah. um in the limelight um yeah i think that's yeah, all that, i want to say about that yeah that's all really no. that. did you go to when i was a youth pastor i had to go to these conferences and <laughs> i just i remember being even at that point being kind of like in a like a tumble dry because they would it was like you had the biggest speakers who would come in and it was very separated and then they'd have you know, mm. like jars of clay and these huge bands come in and play at night you're also separated but it was a whole convention around training you how to do ministry but the whole thing i'm just thinking about this as you guys are talking like the whole thing was so rooted in yeah that kind of that chasm that's between you and somebody else and then you know they're advertising that with you on the other side of the fence but that that's what ministry looks like it was this big explosive dark room thing mm. and that's how a whole generation of people and i don't know how i'm sure it was similar or different in previous or now but you know that was 20 years ago or whatever and now those people are all the pastors to a certain mm -hmm. extent are becoming the pastors but this is the way that they were kind of cultivated and taught was totally. like this is explosive this is big the bigger you do it and now we're seeing that in the churches and the next generation is like i don't think i really care about your mm -hmm. smoke and lights but we were mm -hmm. all kind of trained like this is how you do it like mm. yeah this is will be in their green room like. until they come out yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's all very interesting and you can <clears throat> see the pieces I, like i always used to blame garth brooks for ruining like mainstream country music because he kind of fostered <laughs> wow. in the new radio country but he's one of the largest recording artists in all of history so it's like it's this weird you can see these little pivot points where things kind of veer off and create a new culture but at the moment it doesn't feel that way at the mm -hmm. moment it feels fresh and kind of exciting but then you mm -hmm. watch that line go off for 10 15 20 years and you're like oh man we're in the weeds mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah and maybe going back to the difference between kind of leaders and consumers and who's more implicated mm. you know mega churches the mega church model and the kind of the smoke and lights model of both churches and christian conferences i mean they do generally work yeah, <laughs> you know like there's a reason people keep doing the thing is yeah. that they have a bottom line or you know they have seats mm -hmm. to fill and they think well what's going to draw thousands of you know teenagers from around the country or young adults yeah probably jars of clay or whoever the modern approximation yeah. of jars of clay is like yeah you kind of do what works because of constraints and pressures to succeed and so you give in to catering to what people want and what they want is the spectacle and so then it gets back to well how do we actually change people's felt needs or how do yeah. we actually change what people want so that they're more interested in yeah smaller yep. more yep. enfleshed embodied connections like learning how to pastor from people who have been just kind of faithfully serving their congregation right. and neighborhood for 40 years and are not on social media because they don't have time. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like totally. what if that person becomes more interesting mm -hmm. than the best selling pastor who's like not at his church very much? Yeah, yeah. No. that's so good. Caitlin, I, I just want to say thanks for joining us today. 
Um, very much enjoyed the book, um, Celebrities for Jesus. Where where can people find you online? Like, where do you have a, a website or I, I follow you on Twitter? Um, where where are you most often found? <laughs> well, unfortunately, where I am most often found is Twitter, but I don't want to direct people there first. I would say go to CaitlinBeatty.com, which has links to different places you could, you know, learn about and buy Celebrities for Jesus. Um, I have a collection of essays and previous podcasts, recordings I've done there, and then information about speaking and social media is awesome. all at CaitlinBeatty.com. Awesome. Sweet. CaitlinBeatty.com. Let's do it. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at Patreon dot com backslash voxology you can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us